You're really nicely lined up with the bullshit. Well, I cover it just yeah, perfectly, like, don't I? Just in the middle of the bullshit. Well, I'm on a mission to reduce my swearing since my wife's... Oh, really? Well, I'm just so unaware of it. And, um, yeah, apparently some people don't like swearing. <laughs> Who the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> Quite right. You know what I read recently is that uh, when you hurt yourself, you cut yourself badly. If you have a serious physical injury, swearing reduces the pain. Fact. That's a fact. So if you go like, fuck, you like your pain drops. It's like, so, you know, that's a real, you don't have to swear. I, I imagine you could probably say, <laughs> shit. <laughs> that's still a swear word. I know. As you can see, Steve, it's quite a highbrow chat. So get ready. Uh-huh. Hello and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I am Andy Uri and alongside me is my co-host Pippa Sturt. Hi Andy. Hello Pippa. And today we are joined by Steve O'Hare. Steve is a man who wears many hats and that much is true and he's wearing an excellent hat right now. Senior Vice President of Zap, London's premium on-demand convenience app to being an angel investor and startup advisor to every founding person you can think of. And now he's even founding his very own advisory firm, which I'm sure we'll get into. Steve, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. And so, Steve, 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 we always like to uh, always like to ask, what's keeping you up at night at the moment? Well, as you just alluded to, I've just launched a brand new business um, over here in Co, a strategic communications firm for people, so four employees off the bat, and um, we brought in some initial clients. But yeah, serving those clients and creating a great product. Was it quite nail biting to actually take the plunge and kind of jump off the end of the pier, as it were? and actually do it. We, we managed to sign clients before we launched, and, um, and this is alongside my, my sort of main job at Zap. So having two hats on, quite intense. But um, and I think we signed one of our anchor clients on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day? Well, you, you rang them, they rang you. Who, who rings who on Christmas Day? Well, it's all, it's, all, it's all asynchronous now, isn't it? They sent over the contract as a, as a doctor sign or something, and I signed it on Christmas Day. Ah, okay. Very nice. Yeah, okay. There was no, no, you didn't mess up their Brussels sprouts. That would be poor form, I feel, you know. No, no, no. It's definitely me not having a Christmas. I'm sure they were having an amazing time. <laughs> and so tell us, explain this business, because it sounds like it's some sort of novel approach to comms, which I assume is PR, isn't it? Or, you know, I mean, that's, that's probably upsets you, but, you know, get, get, let's, let's get the shape of what we're talking about here. You know, as, a, as, a, as an ex-journalist, they spent 10, 15 years saying bad things about people in PR. That, yeah, it's definitely, yeah. And rightly so. Continue, yeah. <laughs> no, so, um, look, uh, one of the jobs I do at Zap uh, as SVP of strategy is I, I help build out the initial in-house comms team. So that's everything from, like, internal communications. That's how companies speak to their own people internally, you know, to align around yeah. company goals, company all hands, to kind of managing risk. So that is where I like to call it is kind of providing EQ for business, emotional intelligence for business, right? Especially in tech, business is often pushing up against, you know, a, a way of doing things and trying to change, right? EQ, EQ, emotional intelligence? What do you mean EQ? Yeah, that's right. Like, you know, putting um, company policies and strategy through, through the lens of how would this play out with the wider public or various stakeholders, right? So it's about aligning a company's strategy in the way it decides to do things and decisions it makes and just 
sense checking, right? Like, how would that play out? Is that the right thing to do? Uh, is it a short term um, accomplishment versus long term damage? So it's just kind of zooming out. And obviously, when you're a journalist, you know, you are providing the checks and balances, right, for society, for companies. Part of journalism is holding, you know, power to account. What is it? Make the comfortable uncomfortable and comfort the uncomfortable or something? Was there, there was right, there. exactly. And if, and if you can do that for your CEO, <laughs> like internally for the lens of comms, then you can potentially affect, like, the way a company does things and, and the path it takes with that longer-term thinking that I think you can do from a strategic communications point of view, especially with my background in journalism. So we built this amazing in-house team of comms people. Yeah, we did internal comms, uh, sort of risk management, some ESG stuff. I also headed up sustainability or built a sustainability team at Zap. And then, obviously, you said PR. Of course, part of it is external communications or press. Um, but having that more holistic, joined-up approach is something we've done amazingly well at Zap, largely in-house, have used some PR agencies to add extra firepower. And now I've taken some of that team and spun it out into a new venture, O'Hare & Co, offering a similar kind of product or service to a select few other companies, alongside Zap, of course. So yeah, that's that's my new my new thing. So presumably Zap are totally happy with you doing this. Yeah, no, fully support, because that's what's been great about the way we've done it, is that we're still we you know, Zap is still one of our clients. We're still working with Zap. In fact, I still retain the title of SPP strategy. So nothing in inside Zap has changed. It's like we've been able to provide hundred percent consistency, but take on some additional clients. So it's quite an unusual thing to do. I think it shows great, you know, great credit to Zap and, and the team that's come with me to do this. It's working out fantastic, and we've got some great other clients in addition, addition to Zap. And yeah, we're, we're signing on more as we as we grow and scale. I mean, senior vice president of strategy at Zap suggests that you are, to me, dealing with the strategy of their product, which is you know on online ordering like um, Gorillas and Gets. And one of the, one of them bought the other. Gorillas got bought by someone. Was it by Zap? It got brought. No, no, no. Get it, get it, get get, get yeah, it. Yeah, which yeah, always yeah. looks like an Icelandic yogurt to me. But anyway, <laughs> um, but the you, you senior vice president of strategy. I mean, what's really interesting in what you're saying is that a P our company would basically deals with journalists and gets stuff in magazines and has to try and work out what they're saying and fit the thing in, you know, but that doesn't include internal comms. And actually, when you take a step back even further, the only person I can think of in, in, a, in a good business who's kind of in a, in a technology company or something, you know, as if we think of the startup universe, is the CEO's sort of responsible for the vision and the comms. So he's responsible, or she is, for setting this you know, what is, what is, what is the story of the company? And then, and then you sort of have HR who is sort of responsible internally and then a PR company who's pushing it on the external. Is that kind of your point? It's like, as a journalist, there's a subtlety to how these stories play out and humans like stories and they need beginnings, middles and end and what people consume and that works internally or externally. So rather than, having a CEO set a, a voice or a vision. It's like have someone who who works out what the story is internally and externally. Am I talking bollocks? Is yeah, this... no, no, no. You, no, you're kind of in the right, you're in the sweet spot. At the end of the day, it's about looking at comms as a holistic approach, right? So you have various different stakeholders. Those stakeholders are employees, they're future hires, 
They're perhaps investors. They could be regulators. And then there's the press and the general public, right? And these are all stakeholders in a, in a business um, in, in the general sense. So, what? yeah, you absolutely nailed it. What I've done at Zap is worked very closely with the, with the founders, the CEO. So I, I report directly into the CEO and I'm part of the, the leadership team. And just using that comms perspective to ensure that the strategy um, is communicated in the right way, but also doing it in reverse, using comms or those checks and balances to ensure that we also have the right strategy. So as I like to say, you can't have great communications without the right strategy and you can't execute the right strategy without great communications. Yeah. I mean, I think we can all think of examples of startup businesses that have been doing great guns, but have just got their comms or their strategy slightly wrong. And yeah. it all go, you know, Brewdog is a great example of that that's had terrible press and PR. Has it? Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, there are a few people saying it's miserable working here and and, oh, right, you know, yeah, that, that doesn't go well. And, but, you know, that's part of it came out of this whole sort of vision from the, from the founder who was like, we play hard, we work hard, we, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. But it's gone a little bit wrong. And having somebody like, like Steve in there who's going to... Who knows the dark arts of the journalistic world, yeah, you, know, you know, understands where the levers are, you know, don't worry, I'll call my mate Roger, this will all go away in a minute, I trust you, you know. I mean, if Lee Anderson had had somebody to say, don't tweet what he tweeted today... You know, you're always up to date with the Twitter. Have you not seen this? I, I, I barely got to the toilet today. You know, one of the things I find interesting in, in this statement you're making, because it's something I, I try and work hard at here, is the internal comms bit. You know, internal comms is almost more important than anything. It's like, and for me, you know, I have to look after the marketing. So for me, marketing is obviously a big word that no one really understands that isn't PR and isn't sales, although some people think it is. It's, stra it's like, who is our market and how do we communicate with them? So I don't even use the word correctly, but it's just knocking around as an easy word. But also on a more positive tip, it's like, we're doing all this stuff but we're also busy at the front, but we got to tell everybody internally all the time of what we're doing. But here's the thing, they don't really care, a lot of them, because they've got lives. It's just a job, you know? I mean, sure, they care. They care about the firm, they care about their job, but, you know, so it's a really difficult balance into trying to sort of bring everyone with you without smothering them or being like, you know, this isn't, we're not a start, you know, you do get startups where you kind of sign up to it. You kind of say, right, you know, the original founding team, you're never going to have any holidays for four years and we're going to go for it. But, you know, most businesses, there's a good proportion of people who just want to do their job and maybe be left alone. So I find internal comms as fascinatingly difficult as external comms, you know? Yeah, no, no absolutely. Um, and there's often isn't a, a single way of doing internal comms, right? There's, there's kind of usually like somewhere on the spectrum between being like some companies like to be 100% transparent internally and share everything. Yeah. And then at the other end, companies tend to want to hold back product launches and not give their, their, their teams too much sort of forward-looking perspective on what, what's coming up in the business. Think of something like, you know, Apple, right? Apple, super secretive. Sorry, okay. Um, but at the end of the day, the reason why internal problems is so important is people need context. If you want people to align behind company goals, and sometimes even when a company pivots and changes direction, whether that be overall, but even just on a kind of product-by-product product or certain company, you know, internal plays, right? If you don't provide teams with context, it's very hard for people to get behind something. 
And also in the world of startups and startups, you're asking people to accept and embrace a certain amount of uncertainty, right? That's the nature. You know, a company's trying something new. It's never been done before. Trying to disrupt an, an existing market. And if people accept uncertainty, that's like quite unnerving. That can be unsettling. It's not for everybody. But if you're able to uh, communicate internally and provide context and a clear vision and mission and, and show how we get there, right? Even if the way we get there is going to change, okay, because it's a startup or a startup, then people are much more willing to, you know, to engage and be productive and, and, and get behind the company. And that has all sorts of tangible consequences. It's not about making people feel good, everyone's happy. It's about things like retention, right, lower nutrition. It's about um, allowing people to develop their careers, right, and grow and learn, and that in turn contributes to the company. I mean, as I like to say, the best companies set people up for, for success, right, and good internal comms, providing that context and, and ensuring you're continually aligning your people around those company goals in a way that they can appreciate, especially when you have to change course, um, is super, super important. I think that's it's great. So it's not, there's no wrong and right between transparency and secrecy. It's all about giving people enough context to be motivated to do what they want to do. I think that is terribly important. I mean, we deal with that all the time, you know, because as accountants and lawyers, you'll be, you know, someone junior will be all in the detail and then you're like, they don't know what the company does or whatever. And, and even though that information isn't really necessarily that relevant to the specific thing, you know, you got to do this, add this up, whatever. It's that context of who you're working for and what the business does and, you know, why are we working with them or something is, is hugely valuable. But the thing I found interesting was you, you said you should set people up to success. That's one of those statements like from America, which annoys me. It's just like, what, the hell, what does it mean? You know, put them in a nice chair, you know, like, but I mean, I guess my question means is like set people up to success. What are the, what elements would you advise a business are crucial to set someone up to success? Context? Yeah, context is super important um, and clarity. Clarity. Clarity right. in the instruction of what they need to do. Or... Yeah, like really well-defined communications. So what I mean was like, if you're really clear with people and, and, you, and you take the extra effort to ensure that the message is quite narrow and precise what it needs to be, and then it's more high-level, you know, on different topics. So yeah, I think context and clarity is what people want the most. And as I say, in the startup, startup world, you are literally asking people to embrace uncertainty which sounds like the opposite of clarity. Like, we can tell you where we want to go, but we can't quite tell you exactly how we're going to get there. Or if we know how we're going to get there, that may change because of externalities. We've seen this very recently, right? With the, with the market downturn and the way, you know, venture capital has dried up. Well, suddenly it's so hard to raise money. Yeah, all these businesses are running on empty, you know. I mean, I think, I think another thing as well, particularly with startups, there's an element of, as a founder, setting an example of what you're aiming for. So a really good example of that is Innocent all those years ago when Innocent Smoothies started. So many of their initial sort of staff, probably about 10 to 20 of them in the end, spun out and did their own startups. And that some of that must have been seeing the way the founders of those business worked. 
and sort of how they created a startup and how they made it a success plus made other people want to do it too. Yeah, plus they had share options and they made a few quid, so they kind of have to. But, but you know, I think watching somebody else, the way somebody well. else does it well, yeah, yeah. helps other people learn how to do it themselves. And also if you, if you cultivate that sort of entrepreneurial spirit within your company, then obviously eventually you're going to lose some great ambitious people, but that's going to be right for them and that's the right move. And I don't think there, really, there aren't really any downsides to that. You'd rather have people that can think naturally and solve problems, even if eventually they're going to cotton on Believe and they you. want to be their own boss or yeah. certain percentage of them. Like, I think that's absolutely fine. But going back to the pushback about setting people up to see, it's not just about good comms, it's also about focusing on how you can get the most out of people in your teams. And so an example I always give is, you know, people get very sort of caught up in the sort of diversity and inclusion debate, right? And mm. they kind of focus on the diversity and not enough on the inclusion. And if you take, when I, I've told this story many times publicly, but when I first left journalism, you know, I had a great job at TechCrunch, very high-profile um, news site that covers startups, yeah. right? Um, and I made this move to then go operational again and join SAP um, in, its, in its first year. I had to have a very honest conversation with the CEO founder that as someone with a disability, I would need to primarily work from home and that I would need to be in charge of my own schedule and that if you did that, you would get absolute maximum productivity out of me, right? And so that's a, a slight reasonable, what I guess legally they would call a reasonable adjustment, right? But what it actually did is it set me up to succeed. And, and then, I, you know, I was VP and I've been promoted to SVP as well as being able to do these other things, right? So that's what I mean. It's about thinking about kind of all of these issues around company culture and things like d and and... and really getting back to that kind of um, that first principle of how can you set every single team member up to succeed because if they succeed individually, you will succeed as a company. And I think the other thing that I think I've learned over the years and particularly uh, Zap is that if you can create a culture where you're judged more on the results of your work and less on how you got those results. As long as you can measure them, but yeah, the productivity, sort of, if you could, if you can work, it, it's such an in, interesting mathematical model we're setting up because it's like, you know, what are the inputs? What are the outputs? Measure on the outputs. Yeah, yeah, but 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 you, this is a business without bullshit podcast, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. And you know what? If you can't measure it, the job probably doesn't even need to exist. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like, you know, to you know, to a certain degree, people overcomplicate business. Okay, yeah. they overcomplicate the way we get things done. Like, you know, at the end of the day, there are, there are, I've seen this across lots of companies. There are areas that companies do, and don't ask me to name them, it gets too contentious because I think it's different for different companies. But there's sometimes areas where you think, how does that project, how does that job, even that job role, how does that move the needle for the business, right? And if you have the wrong culture and you hire wrongly, you tend to create jobs where it, doesn't really ladder up to a business goal. Or people go off on a tangent and they do things that, are like, literally, there isn't even a dotted line to like what the business goals are, right? And so, if you let's go full circle back to comms. I've had conversations with founders and CEOs or their marketing teams where they say, "Steve, like, really want your help. Want to raise the profile of the founder. Want to get them on the speaking circuit or whatever, right?" And I'm like, "What for? Like, what's the business goal that ladders up to?" And, and this is like big companies, and they're like, 
Oh, we've never actually asked that question. He just loves himself, you know. <laughs> he told us to do it. So basically, you're you're saying, and I, I think this is what your agency offers, which is terribly convenient, but companies need someone like you at the table who's not the finance guy, you know, who's not, this isn't marketing, and it's not the external PR company you occasionally get a free lunch out of. It's someone at the table saying, I, I'm trying to work out how this message goes through, you know? And that's, I think that's a great point. It's like the new role. And, and actually, probably because you're an agency and that suggests to me from Zap, it's the kind of role that is quite consultancy, a bit like an accountant, for instance. Someone you might need to see once a week if it's a busy business and they're involved heavily, but it's not necessarily someone you need there every day because, you know, it's strategic thinking that they need to go away and think about and then come back into your business and say, so is, is that fair? You sort of... You turn up at the board, is it? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we typically work on a retainer basis, and different clients have greater or lesser needs. And you're absolutely right. And the right, you know, at the entry level, I'm working with a venture capital firm where we're only doing, I think it's like a couple of days a month, right, on a retainer. And they'll just be sense checking their, their common strategy and also trying to figure out, you know, how they can sort of differentiate their narrative or whatever, right? It's sort of pretty bread and butter stuff. And they just need a bit of input from from someone like me and, and the team that I've, that I've put together. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we've got several clients where we do all of their internal comms, press office, and then that strategy stuff around sense-checking decisions and, and the way things are communicated to ensure that there's no, um, no you know, reduce the downsides and increase the upsides, right? So it's to, to exactly your point. So yeah, it's a, it's a range, but... Um, it's, yeah, it's great. It is a fun job because it's really fun challenging people's thinking and having that, that accumulative knowledge and kind of instinct to, to be able to sense check things super, super quick. And actually the bit that people never understand about comms because they always call it PR is really, really good comms when there's buy-in from the leadership of these companies. You do get to affect the decisions. There's a lot of job satisfaction from using the power of comms to affect change is, is, is probably where this, you know, where the most satisfaction comes from, which isn't about stopping things. It's actually about having, helping companies navigate and do things in a, in a better way. So that because the idea is you don't, you should never need to go out to the press and defend something awful, that something awful should never happen in the first place. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's doors always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. So this is bullshit question time. Um, I don't know if you've got one, but is there anything that you think 
is bullshit or is business. Well, it, you know, people talk about like it's business, but it's really bullshit. Or, you know, people think it's bullshit, but it's business. And, uh, you know, like office dogs, uh, any, any subject <laughs> for us. I think many people overcomplicate business. Mm. So complication is bullshit. Yeah, just trying to over, it's like over intellectualizing something that actually is quite straightforward. But yeah, I just, I, I think that about a lot of things though, in terms of this over intellectualization rate around things that actually are pretty simple. When you sort of brought it down, it's what I like kind of first principle thinking, which is like actually, if you take this stock, you stop and you think, what the hell are we trying to achieve here? And often you'll see teams and projects sort of lose track of that. I think it's quite funny how quickly collectively groups of human beings sort of lose a sense of what it is they were trying to achieve in the first place. Yeah, you obviously have a good mind for it. And you you alluded to it earlier because you said stuff about, you know, you, you got to be lateral thinker and a problem solver. I think that's quite an interesting statement because I don't think that's something you get to choose, lateral thinking and problem solving. It tends to be dyslexics who are more picture-orientated and lateral thinkers. So better, they take longer to get it together and can't read it, but once they get it in their head. And that, now that's just one group of people. There'll be other groups of people who, you know, all brains work all sorts of differently. But I would say it's a minority of people who can think laterally. I, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not an expert on it, but sometimes when people say lateral thinking... They actually mean like take a step back, but reduce the problem down to its core, and then that opens up a certain amount of like clarity overnight. Do you know what I mean? Does that make any sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You don't you don't have to turn it on its head. Maybe you just need to step back about what it is. Yeah, step back and try and simplify the problem. You should do like a toilet book. I always feel that you're gonna you'd have like five questions whenever you stepping back. You need to ask yourself, you know, why are we doing it? Who are we doing it for? Whether you yeah. know, whatever, yeah. and that, and just answer those questions honestly, and you'll know what to do, or you'll know what you're looking at at least. I also think that sometimes the thing you have to do is make a decision. I think people are really good at just talking around things forever and never actually going. Let's just do X. So this is our quick fire questions. This is when we are going to ask you a list of questions to get to know you a little better. You've got about five seconds to answer each question. Not really five seconds. You can take as long as you like. No, no, you can't. You can't. New rules. Oh, new rules. New okay, rules, sorry. Pippa. At the end, we may pick up on some of these answers and interrogate further. And we will not delay during the quick far restaurant. Restaurants. What's going on with these words? <laughs> anyway, D, cue the music. <laughs> Are we ready? Uh, we're off. Pippa. What was your first job? My first was, as I said, I couldn't get a job. So my first gig was I started a little web design partnership with my mate from school. Cool. Don't ask more. Don't ask more. What was your worst job? Probably the web design partnership. (laughs) (laughs) Favourite subject at school? It was actually media studies, which sounds so, so sad. That's not a subject. (laughs) Both my parents were English teachers, and I used to say how much I hate hate English and like media, which then when I ended up writing for a living was somewhat ironic. Again, I'm just not going to ask more questions, which I have. Um, What's your special skill? I mean, I want to say communications, but it's probably... Um, <laughs> You're all right. Probably, huh? saying, probably saying it as it is, actually. What did you want to be when you grew up? So at first I wanted to work in advertising, but one of my neighbours was like a member of the Communist Party, 
and <laughs> pulled me out of that. That's um, what I wanted to do. You ever watched the film Crazy People? I love that film, Crazy People. Anyway, I've done it. Sorry. I'm a massive, massive mad, mad Men fan. Um, oh. And then, and then I wanted to be a journalist. And then, this is I want to do this. I'm doing the five second version. So I, I was going to study journalism at university, but the course I wanted to do, they made every student go and work at the local paper, and the local paper was up a flight of stairs. So I didn't study journalism, and that's how I ended up not being a journalist until I became a journalist. That's brilliant. I love these. Um, anyway, what did your parents want you to be? I don't think they really cared. They just wanted me to, to get a job and move out of home. <laughs> okay, I thought you were going to say they just wanted me to be happy, but no, they just wanted you to fuck off, basically. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. My dad, my dad, my dad said to me, he said you can, he said you can go to university. Anywhere you like in the country, the world, as long as it's not anywhere near London. What's, what's your go-to karaoke song? So I actually hate karaoke because I, I used to play. In, I used to play in quite a serious band, or at least a band that took itself seriously. And we were upstairs. We were upstairs by a karaoke machine at a party. <laughs> we got. We got. We played that. Set. Okay, this one is important. I need a certain guest. He's asleep. Is he not asleep, poor oh, dog? So choose your answer carefully to this one, Steve. I'll just warm you up. Uh, <laughs> office dogs, business or bullshit? I'm going to say business, but I was doing it anyway. Despite uh, your prop. Uh, Romeo looks so unimpressed uh, by the whole thing. With the sign. Yeah, I need a little photo of that. Anyway, we'll have to do that later. Um, nice one, though. Sorry about that. Have you ever been fired, Steve? I have. I have, yeah. <laughs> Write that down, write that down. He's been fired. Not many people have. Excellent word. Burger King. I was, I was fired over over text message. There you go. Really? That's harsh. Yeah. I did once dump yeah. somebody over text message, so I, I know where it goes. It and then say, call me later. Yeah. Uh, what's your vice? What's my vice? I think it's probably, um, probably working. Yeah, oh, that's a good God. vice. It's fair enough, that. It's the kind of kind of answer that you get when you ask somebody in a job interview. Yes. What's your vice? I just work too much. Yeah. Just too committed. Okay, so this is where we give you 30 seconds to pitch probably your new company or whatever else you'd like to pitch. So I'm going to pitch... Well, I'm going to pitch my album as well. So, yeah, go and check out my album, otismatch.com. It's, it's really sad. It's got like six listeners a month or something. So please, please up that. And um, if, you're, if you're a startup, stayed up, and you need some strategic communication advice, uh, hit me up on Twitter, S over here, or check out ohereco.com. Brilliant. Brilliant. I was trying to find a stopwatch, but I got a new watch, so I can't fucking find my stopwatch. But I believe that was 27 seconds. <laughs> That's it. Fantastic. Uh, we will all be checking out your album. And there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. And we will be back with BWB Extra on Thursday. Until then, it's ciao. Bye. 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 Bye.